You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm joined once again by our very own executive pastor, Fred Guidi. Good morning, Josiah. It's so nice to be invited back. Yes, it's so wonderful having you back. I can't believe because like, you just have this, I think I mentioned this the last time we did this. You have this silky smooth buttery radio voice and like when you start talking. <laughs> well, thank you, Josiah. I assume that's a compliment. I'm not sure. But uh, uh, once again, though, I am happy that you have invited me back. I'm, I'm oh, yes. glad to be here. And, yes, uh, we're so glad to have you back. Thank you, sir. And uh, we, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit today um, about a topic that's pretty important to understanding the Christian faith mm. and understanding uh, what Jesus did for us. Like most topics we discuss here on the podcast are, I think, you know, I think it's fair to say most of the topics we discuss are important, but this one is a pretty foundational Mm. topic, pretty foundational um, item to understand. This past weekend, uh, my father concluded our series on Abraham uh, by reading Genesis 22 and preaching that message. And he talked primarily about how this was Abraham's greatest test of faith Mm. on his odyssey. Indeed. And that is a pretty uh, crucial under, um, pretty crucial piece of that passage. You come to the end of, this is basically the end of Abraham's story. And, you know, he has this final, final uh, moment where he has to display this devotion and faith he's had in God over the course of these, uh, this odyssey. But, there is this uh, beautiful picture mm. that is also a pretty crucial piece of this passage. And you know, Fred, with that, that, uh, with that wonderful voice of yours, uh, would you mind just to kind of uh, remind us of what it was that happened in this account? Because it's pretty important for us to remember some of the details. Well, I think ultimately we're looking at Abraham's ultimate test of obedience here. And, of course... Uh, um, I have children, and the thought of sacrificing a child uh, by by slicing its throat and burning it on a pyre uh, is so appalling to me that I could not possibly ever give that thought. And so for Abraham to be willing to answer uh, God's uh, instruction in this manner is almost unbelievable. And it's very difficult, I think, um, to imagine as humans, as as fathers, uh, this kind of this kind of thing. Um, But again, it points, I believe, and every time I read this passage, I believe it points to the ultimate sacrifice, and that, of course, is the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, and God sacrificing His very own Son uh, in this this manner, Mm -hmm. and. Oh, it's it it just uh, it just makes the hair in the back of my head stand right. up when I, when I yeah. read this. It's it's yeah. an amazing piece. Yeah. So what what happens there, of course, is when Isaac is walking up mm. the mountain with his father, he's like, "Where's where's the sacrifice? You know, we got right. the wood here. We have all we right. need for the sacrifice, except for the sacrifice." Mm. And Abraham, of course, says, "The Lord will provide." The lamb. He does, and uh, I think that's what you're getting at. It right? is, that, and I. It, it is, and there's another element of this as well that, that 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 jumps out at me when I read this is their companions when they leave their two companions to go up on the hill, and 
Abraham says, we'll be right back, or we'll be back. I'm not clear on the exact verbiage, but he says, we'll be back. When he uses that word, we, uh, to me, that implies that Abraham believes that God is going to resurrect yeah, his son yeah. and, and that the two of them will be coming back. And wow, there's a, there's a great message in there as well. Yeah, and I think, uh, was it Hebrews or Paul where somebody actually alludes to that? They mm. say that Abraham believed that he did. if this would happen to Isaac, God could raise him from the dead. Amen. So there are all these little symbols in here um, that uh, we'll come back to those in a little bit. Um, what I want to talk about a little bit when we're looking at this account of Abraham taking Isaac up on the mountain and then getting to the moment of sacrifice mm. and then, you know, God thunders from heaven says, mm. don't do it. And there's a ram caught in the thicket and they sacrifice the ram instead. Yes, yes. That becomes a picture of, um, to use the fancy theological language, because that's how we do on the podcast. Yes, we do. Uh, that becomes this picture of a doctrine called substitutionary atonement mm. that is very key in understanding what it means to be a Christian, uh, what it was that Jesus Christ did for us. So... When we're talking about uh, substitution, Fred, uh, what what are we what are we talking about? I think in the basic sense, Josiah, uh, when we talk about the the early Israelites and, and Hebrews, that there was a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice for the uh, forgiveness or atonement of sin. Right. And I think in this sense, um, it all points to Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus Christ's uh, death and resurrection um, was the ultimate atonement for sin for mankind, thereby um, allowing us to enter into eternity in God's presence, uh, giving us that uh, authority, if you will. And it's all through the blood of Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, right. of which there'll be no more sacrifice. There right. need not be any more altars. There need not be mm -hmm. a, uh, any more uh, animal sacrifices or, or any other sacrifices for that matter. I, this was the ultimate sacrifice right. to which uh, all men uh, can be redeemed. And I really liked what you were calling out just a little bit ago when you were talking about the sacrificial system that existed in ancient Israelite society. Because as human beings, we have this issue, and issue is a very light way to describe it. It is indeed. Uh, we have this, this mountain of a problem mm. where because of the way that we have rebelled against God, the ways that we have chased after false idols, mm. uh, the ways that we have basically spurned anything God has said and yes. decided we want to live our own way yes. in our own time. Because of that, um, we are separated mm. from God. Uh, there, uh, there's this. Uh, God can't be in the presence of uh, the theological term again uh, is sin, right? Mm. Uh, he cannot. Uh, he can't be in the presence of. Uh, it's it's such an affront to who he is, such an affront to his character, such an affront to his holiness and his goodness and his glory absolutely um, that uh he can't uh at least not for eternity he can't that cannot that cannot exist with him uh so in our natural state we're separated from god absolutely. and there's nothing on our own that we can do 
to pay the price to make that right. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so then you have, so God, you know, I think we, we view the sacrificial system in Western eyes, 21st century eyes, as this like really, oh golly, this laborious, you know, outdated, uh, crazy thing. Um, and there are some elements, I think it's fair to say, that's like, oh, well, of course that doesn't apply anymore. Um, we don't, obviously, you know, uh, you're not uh, taking a lamb up to the altar at our Grafton campus and, you know. <laughs> I haven't done that recently, Josiah. Thank you. <laughs> not, uh, we're not doing that anymore. But there is this aspect of the sacrificial system that I think we miss, uh, that it was such a mercy mm. on the part of God to say, I'm going to provide this way for you to be in a relationship with me. Um, that uh, Because what was happening... What, what this picture um, of Isaac and Abraham is pointing us to, and what you were referring to with the sacrificial system, um, is that somebody somehow has to make uh, make it right. Mm. Somebody has to cover our our sins in order for us to be in the presence of God, in order to be made right with Him, in order to be restored to a relationship with Him. Absolutely. And God makes a way for that to happen through sacrifice, uh, through, in particular, um, with the system of sacrifice in ancient Israel, you take an animal, and that animal, uh, in effect, bears your sin, mm. bears the penalty that you rightfully incurred. Right. And uh, in, in that sacrifice... Um, the Israelites were given opportunity to be in relationship with God. Um, Josiah, do you think it's pride? I mean, why is it so difficult for us to grasp that concept? I mean, it seems simply as simple as you've described it, but why is it so difficult for us to understand that fully? Mm. Is it pride? Is it is that a problem? I mean, I think that's a huge, huge uh, part of it. There, uh, and that's what, as you read, um, as you read both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you discover one. That uh, in some respects, and especially I think you see this in Paul's letters and in the Gospels, there is this idea that especially certain, uh, like when you think of the Pharisees, for instance, there was to an extent this thought that they could they could keep the law mm. um, to such an extent and, and, you know, they put laws around laws and they could, in effect— make themselves right. Well, um, at least to some extent, you know, there's mm -hmm. some debate about, uh, how much and how far they took that. But pride is a huge part of it. I think there is part of us that wants to, we don't want to owe anything to anyone, right? right? We want it to be, I did this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there is this aspect of, again, especially I think in some of our contexts, it's kind of, it can be kind of humiliating Yes. Uh, to say, man, I was like, I mean, imagine if you were, in a place where you were about to go bankrupt mm -hmm. and like you thought, man, if I just, if I pull, you know, 60 hour weeks and I just keep, you know, I, I work really hard at it. Maybe I can get myself out of this, but then you end up in such a place where that becomes impossible and somebody has to come bail you out. You know, you, you look at that on the outside, you think, wow, that's such a mercy. That's such a kindness, but there's something in our hearts. that's like, Ooh, no, like, I don't want to, you know, that feels like groveling. Yeah. Like, I don't want to, I want to accept that. So I think that's another, I think that's a part of it. And I think another part of it 
especially in ancient Israel with the sacrificial system, people still want to do what they want to do. Right, <laughs> you know? right. I mean, sure. It, the, uh, the Israelites, even when they were at the height of their idolatry and they were worshiping false gods, they were still making sacrifices. Sure. Right? Sure. Uh, but they weren't making right sacrifices. No. Uh, and their hearts weren't. Even, uh, even when they were making lawful, quote-unquote, sacrifices, uh, God many times in Scripture called them out and said, you're not, your heart's not right, you know, like uh, mercy and obedience mm-hmm. are, you know, the, it's the heart <laughs> behind the sacrifice. Sure. The whole thing with the sacrificial system then again, of course, is that it, it's, it's pointing us to something. Mm-hmm. And that's what you mentioned. Yes. Um, and so I think that's a, but that's a huge piece of understanding what Jesus did for us is you got to look Absolutely. back and understand what that, that sacrificial system and what the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22 was pointing us to that God allows a substitute to stand in our place mm. and to be for us and do for us and uh, bear for us what we could not do Absolutely. by ourselves. Josiah, what would you say to people that um, continue to believe that they somehow play a role in their own salvation, that <laughs> Jesus' uh, Jesus's sacrifice was somehow not enough, and that we feel that we somehow play a role in, in our own salvation? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think they're... Um and you sometimes get into this, you know. If you if you talk with uh, folks from the Catholic Church, you can uh, you can have conversations like this. Um, and we talked about this a little bit in our, I think the last podcast you and I did together. I believe we did. Um, so there is there is an outworking of obedience that comes from faith that says you're going to obey what Jesus asks of you. Yeah, I mean the fact that he sacrificed himself for you and did for you what you could not do for yourself and saved you so magnificently mm. as your substitute. You know, he, I mean, you think about Jesus on the cross. I mean, that should have been you and me. Absolutely. And you think the way he bore our grief, our sorrow, the literal physical anguish of the scourging mm. and the nails on the cross, uh, not to mention the, I mean, the dark night of the soul he went through um, in Gethsemane and when he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. When you look at that, it's pretty hard not to be so overcome, if you have the eyes to really see it, that you don't you don't want to obey him and love him and, and follow where he goes. But that's very different from saying, well, I'm going to try to save myself, uh, you know, so that, you know, it's me who makes me worthy of salvation. I would refer us again to that verse in Hebrews where it says, for through a single offering, Mm. God has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It's a once and for all deal, and uh, it's it's Christ's blood in our place that makes that possible. So I think when you're dealing with the fact that Jesus did that for us, I think that really, if you really see that, it really shapes how you view that. And especially, I think that's the other piece of this substitutionary idea that we don't see mm-hmm. in the story here with Abraham and Isaac. What we see here is just, there's a sacrifice that's going to be made and God provides the sacrifice. What we don't see in that story 
is the penal representative side of it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. To it use, does. Again, the theological terminology. Absolutely. Um, because when Jesus is substituted in our place, like the ram was for Isaac, mm-hmm. in this story, in Genesis 22, Jesus, in a great act of love, is also bearing the wrath of God against Mm. our sin. Yes, he is. Because uh, that's, again, an unpopular concept to talk about today. Yeah. Um, But there is this part of God's character that, I mean, when you and I see injustice Mm -hmm. in the world, when we see people taken advantage of and when we see people attacked and wounded and destroyed and brought to ruin because of the evil actions of others, and there's something inside of us that boils up, doesn't it? We Absolutely. want to say that has to be made right. Absolutely. Doesn't it? Well, that's part of the image of God inside of us. Sure. Well, we often say, and one of the uh, most uh, uh, obvious proofs for a creator God or a supreme being is the fact that uh, most of us contain within us the, these, these, these common moral laws. And so uh, if we have a common moral law, then that uh, infers that there is a moral law giver. Yeah. And the mere fact that unlike animals, wild animals and beasts that don't contain that same that same law, and, and humanity itself is is alone in its its bearing of that uh, commonality, I believe that that just points to a, to a God, a loving God that right. uh, that wants good uh, in this world and hates sin. Yeah. And so that has always been one of the most profound uh, bits of evidence for me right. that uh, that there is a, a loving Creator God. Yeah, and. And in fact, I mean, this this sin and this evil that we we brought into the world yes. and that we continue to perpetuate uh, so often, it has to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And the way that God does that in such a way that we can be restored to God, once again, that's the whole point of this, is that Jesus, for those who believe in him, for those who put their faith in him and love him, he bears that wrath for them. Amen. And the words of Paul, he who knew no sin became mm, sin. Became sin, absolutely. In order that in him we might become the righteousness absolutely. of God. And, uh, and so, why is that important, though? I mean, we, why, why is that important? Why do we need to obtain righteousness in order to be found acceptable to God? I mean, why? why it, 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 through all of this, I mean, right. why? And we, we've been conditioned over time to know that sin is wrong. But ultimately, why is it that we need to be perfected? Why is it that that's so important for God to 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 accept us at the end? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier about being in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's this uh, is so overwhelmingly uh, good and wondrous, and um, I'm blanking right now on who said it, which part of Scripture it's in, but sin cannot ultimately be in his presence, that they cannot coexist in the same sphere. Are you saying we'd dirty up the place? That's it. I'm saying we would, we would dirty up the place. Um, and so he, uh, he has to, if we're going to be with him, he has to make us, as Paul would say, into the image of his son. Mm. So that, and I mean, then that's for, that's for our good too. Isn't that I mean, exciting? that makes us, uh, that's where ultimate happiness and joy is found. Amen. I mean, because I don't know about you, but when I think about how I am right now, mm-hmm. like when I look in the mirror in the morning, man, there are all kinds of things that break my own heart about myself wow. and make me think, oh gosh, like I don't want to be like this forever. Wow. You know? You're and right. It's a really exciting and hope inspiring thing. It is. To realize that when we're at the point where 
we receive that city that is to come and God mm. creates everything anew. New Jerusalem. We'll be purged. Like that will be gone. There, will, there won't be those moments anymore. So yeah, so when Jesus dies on the cross as our substitute for those who put their faith in him, he bears the wrath of God that we deserve. Mm. And that's how God deals with this wrath that he has to, that he has to address with sin. It's a simple concept, yeah. isn't it, really? Yeah, and the unfortunate reality is that for those who don't accept Jesus, those who don't trust him, put their faith in him, they're not accepting uh, the substitute, and uh, God will still have to deal with sin. Absolutely. And the way that happens is through eternal punishment, which is another thing we don't like to talk about. Right. But that's why we work so hard in preaching and teaching mm. and in evangelizing, and why we say we live to make a difference at Horizons Church Absolutely. is because, again, to quote Paul, we work hard to persuade people uh, so that they can know forever the joy that is in God. And so they're not separated from him mm. forever. But in order to know that, you have to realize that Jesus died in your place Amen. to bring you back to God. As Peter said, uh, he died the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us back to God. Absolutely. And so this this doctrine of substitutionary atonement that we've been talking about, and that this story in Genesis 22 points, points us to, to sure. is very important to understand when it comes to the Christian faith. And you mentioned this earlier, and I kind of want to draw this out as we close. You mentioned that there are kind of hints and whispers of this mm. all throughout scripture. Absolutely. And actually, I'm thinking, I don't know if we actually were talking about this before we started the podcast we in, may our, have been. in our meeting before the meeting, but you mentioned that regardless at one point in time, uh, that if you're looking throughout scripture, you'll find pictures of Christ absolutely all over the place. And it puts me in mind of the story in Luke 24. Mm-hmm. If you remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus. they're talking about the events that have happened in the past few days, namely Jesus's crucifixion. Absolutely. Their hopes are dashed at this point because they're thinking Jesus was going to be the Savior, the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, when Jesus appears on the road with them as they're talking... They don't even recognize him. They don't recognize him. And he says, why are you so sad? And they say, you know, are you the only one who hasn't heard these things? And they say, we had hoped that he was the Mm. one who would redeem Israel and... You know, you look at a Roman cross, you think, if you had any hope in that guy, well, that's gone. The Romans just crushed it. Yeah. (laughs) But then what does he say to them when they're sitting there or standing there sad about this? He says, oh, foolish ones, slow to believe all that the prophets and all that was written in the scriptures. It had to be this way. Yeah. And then he unfolds for them throughout all all of the scripture, mm-hmm. how it was pointing to, to him. this, to Absolutely. him, to this moment of his suffering, his death in our place as our substitute. And then, of course, the real glorious thing is that he wasn't just a lamb who was slain on an altar and then left there. He rose to life again. Absolutely. And so if you look throughout scripture, you'll find... I mean, hints and whispers of him all over the place. Absolutely. Now, I don't think you should go. Um, there are phony ways to do this, which is kind of funny and worth mentioning because um, I had a 
professor once, he was talking about the church fathers, and I can't remember which one it was, but one of them was trying to say, even you know, if you read about the tabernacle's construction in, uh, you know, the Pentateuch, uh, you'll see they talk about nailing down the tent pegs, and that was pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ was going to be nailed to the cross, and it's wow. like, that's, that's a little yeah, bit that's a, that's a That's a bit of a stretch, isn't <laughs> but, it? Yeah, but when you look at, like, stories like this one in Genesis 22, Absolutely. where you're looking at the sacrificial system mm. that's laid out in the Torah. It builds up um, to this. It yeah, builds up to Christ. Yeah. And you see um, all these, just these hints of him and all these whispers of him. And like in the Psalms and in prophetic literature and in places like Isaiah 53, you see very clear hints of the fact that there's going to be this person, this servant that's Mm. going to stand in the place of his people and he's going to do for them what they can never do for themselves. Mm. That's the heart, I think of this uh, seemingly academic, maybe dusty doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Let me ask you one other thing, though. Does does not this passage, doesn't Abraham set a model for us in terms of faith? Oh, absolutely. I mean, doesn't, you know, when I read this, I think, wow, this is where I hope to be at some point in my life, to have faith as strong as this, that I would be willing to go to that end in order to... um, Boy, it's, 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 again, as a parent, boy, it's, it is. It's, yeah, and I it's think brutal. It's, it's, that's interesting you bring that up because isn't it fascinating that we do remember this primarily, and I think that's okay. We remember this primarily as a test of Abraham's faith. But, and I think it was Steve who made this observation. You notice Abraham, he names this place, not after the test of his mm. faith, but he names this place, the Lord will provide, mm-hmm. which is an indicator of, his faith, of course, Amen. that he has such absolute trust in God that even when these seemingly insane things are asked of him, mm-hmm. he's willing to say, yeah, I trust you. The Lord will provide. The Amen. Lord will provide. The Lord will see to it. And he always does. And he always does. And I think that's an enormous encouragement. I and agree. that's the heart of substitutionary atonement. You know, Isaac says, where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. Behold the Lamb of God, mm. as John says, who takes away, away the, the sins, sins of the world. world. Wow. And that's the heart of Jesus as our substitute in this beautiful story. And I love that picture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, just hugely encouraging. Massive, massive encouragement. Josiah, thank you so much for this. Yeah, no, thank you, Fred, for joining us. Uh, we're so glad that you all continue to listen to the podcast with us. And a reminder, mm. if you all have questions, maybe you want to hear... Fred answer a question of his own in a silky smooth, buttery radio voice. Thank you, Josiah. (laughs) You can email your questions as always to podcast at horizonschurch.net. Thank you once again, Fred. Thank you, Josiah, for allowing me to join you today. And we will see you all next time. (laughs) 